the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to the Sleeper on the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And tonight we'll be discussing a trade, some surprising average batted ball distances, and a pair of DL returnees. And the most interesting player alive today, not surprisingly, is one of the men involved in today's blockbuster trade. And that's Scott Feldman, and he was traded to the Orioles from the Cubs for Jake Arrieta and Pedro Strope. So, you know, Scott Feldman. Uh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of somewhat shallower mixed leaguers have had Feldman on their team all season long, and and he's he's continued to uh, be uh, a valuable pitcher, somewhat surprisingly. But do you think he's going to continue to earn value for shallow teamers now in the American League, or back in the American League? Yeah, I don't know. I mean... You could point to uh, the season he had with the Rangers and say, well, you know, he had a five ERA with the Rangers. It's not going to turn out great. But the uh, the thing about that uh, that year of the Rangers is that he had the same peripherals pretty much as he has now, uh, minus uh, ground ball rate a little bit. So I think if you, if, you, if you tried that season again with the Rangers, that 220 season again, he wouldn't have the same five ERA. I think he would... Uh, have something closer to the high, four, uh, the low fours, high threes, um, and I, I think that uh, it's hard to it's hard to say he's definitely going to be useful because he's got borderline skills in a way. I mean, his strikeout rate's low, his ground ball rate. I mean, his walk rate is good, but it's not elite, and his ground ball rate has kind of gone in and out as his career has progressed. So uh, I don't think he's a lock to be useful going forward. It's definitely going to be harder for him. Uh, but I do think uh, I do think he'll be useful in most leagues. The defense actually is interesting because he's coming from a Cubs team that I think it might surprise some to learn that they've actually been pretty good defensively this year. UZR 150, they rank eighth in all of baseball. But he's going to a club that's even better defensively in Baltimore. They rank fifth at 5.1 UZR 150. So that's pretty good, and that means that he probably should not have uh, Babbitt problems again like he did in Texas at some points during his career. So his Babbitt should be fine. Uh, but just to move to the AL, I think is going to render him pretty useless in mixed leagues. I mean, maybe if you're really a, a risk taker, maybe he's a streamer against lesser opponents. Maybe the Royals are, are, are a team like that. But I wouldn't hang on to him in mixed leagues. I mean, his strikeout rate was never really good to begin with. And going back to the AL, I mean, he had years of sub five strikeout rate. So this is not a strikeout rate guy. So I don't think he's going to be really somebody to to hold on to in mixed leagues. Of course, even on the Cubs, I wouldn't have, you know, started him in mixed leagues to begin with. I I haven't been a Feldman fan. So going to be strikeout rate's not good. And also, you know. If you look back on his career, he's had home run problems at different times, and he's going to a park that's uh, that's very nice to the home run. So, yeah, I uh, I mean, if he's on, then maybe he has some value, could do some quick shopping, but uh, uh, he's probably not going to get you much back either. You could try and stream him and just not play him at home very much. 
Yeah, also, actually, perhaps more interesting as part of the trade is Arietta. Because, no, he moves to the NL, and he's a guy whose stuff has always looked better than his strikeout rates have been. Uh, he's battled control problems. His swinging strike rate hasn't been there. He's been up and down. He was a former top prospect. So I think there's a lot going on with Ar- Arietta, but he's go- moving into a good situation, at least. I mean... You can't get much better than moving into the National League in front of a good defense. And and if he was ever going to break out, I think this is his chance. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, Dave Cameron was already tweeting about um, the possibility that he ends up in the in the uh, bullpen. So, you know, we're, we're, we haven't even uh, given him his last chance, and he's already <laughs> being thrown overboard by some. I think, um, you know, I think it must be a straight fastball because he's got a 94, 95 mile an hour fastball and uh, he's just not getting anywhere with it. His whiffs on the pitch, uh, just looking it up uh, at Brooks Baseball, 6%, that's pretty bad. Uh, it's you know it's not a pitch that you normally get whiffs on, but that's not a good rate. Um, and, you know, just in general, all of his whiff rates are just low. I mean, change up 11%, you know, change ups go from 15 to 20%. Slider, 12%. That's eh. Curve, 10%. Those are more 15 to 20%. You know, the cutter gets 12%. That might be one of his better pitches, and it's and it's a cutter, and he doesn't throw it very often. I, so, yeah. I, I just wonder if his delivery and his mechanics, maybe the ball is easier to pick up. I remember reading about Kyle Loesch back in the day when his straight – well, his strikeout rates were never good, but I think it was when his bad bips were always high, and it was because I guess there was – Literally no deception in his delivery, and, and hitters can pick up his ball easy. Maybe that, I wonder if that's Arietta's problem. I mean, I'm just completely throwing it out there. I have no idea. But when you're throwing 94 and your strikeout rates just stink, there's got to be something that's going on. Yeah, what's weird is that over the last couple of years, he's almost struck out a batter per inning, but he's done it with whiff rates that were below average. So, I mean, he's really perplexing. And, then they, you know, the, the Cubs are just turning a $3 million, you know, sort of a flyer pickup into a couple of guys that they might control that might have upside uh, for a couple longer years. So it's obvious what they're doing. I mean, Strope also, uh, you know, Strope, we shouldn't not mention Strope because even though Strope has control problems and is, has issues of his own, uh, Strope now is the best pitcher, well, the best pitcher with some experience because Blake Parker has some interesting things going on. But uh, Pedro Strope might be, the guy who closes when Kevin Gregg is traded. Actually, speaking of closer, what do you think? I mean, if Cameron mentioned Arietta moving to bull, the bullpen, what do you think of Arietta himself as a closer? You have to think, if he's throwing 94 now as a starter, he's going to be in the upper 90s, maybe even peaking at 99, 100 in the bullpen. And that could be a pretty intriguing name to consider in the closer role, I would think. Yeah, and maybe... Um... Maybe he can scrap one of the the change or the curve or the cutter or whatever, you know. Just focus on the best pitches that he's got. That would be interesting. The one thing I would say is that it's probably a longer term thing, and that we we can also uh, watch this pretty easily because he's gonna go to the minor leagues. I've heard, uh, so, so we're gonna get some information on what they're doing with him before he comes up to the majors. So uh, if we're building a bullpen depth chart right now, I think the big question is Blake Parker versus Pedro Strope. I mean, Blake Parker would surprise me just because he has such little experience, and you don't normally see pitchers like this. Get th- I mean, he's had all of 18 and a third major league innings, 
So, I mean, to think that he might be a closer, you know, within the next month or so, it, it's kind of hard to believe. But, yeah, and, and Strobe has more gas, which is one thing that we found, um, you know, is, is relevant to the discussion. You know, Parker comes in at 91 miles an hour. I mean, that's okay, but it's not not what you normally think of uh, from a closer. So, um, you know, I think, you know, I think that Kevin Gregg is realistic. He's on a one-year deal. I just talked to him a little bit. Seems like uh, he's just happy to be in the bigs and, and, and performing well. Um, and he'll be he'll be ready to take the ball for another team if it, if it comes down to it. And any of the guys that are on one-year deals are, uh, are probably movable right now. Yeah, and just one last thing about Blake Parker. He was in the minors since 2007. The guy is 28 years old. How often does a 28-year-old relief pitcher who spent many years in the minor leagues come up and become a closer? I mean, it just doesn't happen often. So, to me, the odds are stacked against Blake Parker being the closer, closing out the season in Chicago as the club's closer. Uh, as the Cubs closer. All right, uh, I want to move on. Uh, this morning, I posted an article looking at some of the interesting batted ball distances. And now this is from Jeff Zimmerman's BaseballHeatMaps.com website. And uh, what we do is we look at the home run and fly ball average distances. And I found before the season started, me and Chad Young, that there's a high correlation between these distances and a hitter's home run per fly ball rate. So the first interesting name is actually Oswaldo Arcia, who ranks 14th in the entire list of, uh, there was like 270 hitters on the leaderboard. He ranked 14th with a distance of 302 feet. And just for context, the leaders usually will be about 310 to 315 feet. So 302 is really good. Yet, his home run per fly ball rate is just 12.5%. So he's showing some serious power. And, and I'm also curious what that does to Chris Parmalee. I, I know you own him in Towers. I own him in Labor. And uh, Willingham's injury, I think, opens up playing time for both of them. Uh, I haven't checked the depth chart yet, but I think both of them now can play regularly, right? Well, yeah, I mean, also, Morneau's done. <laughs> I hate to I hate to jump ahead to the bottom of your article. <laughs> but uh, Morneau is pretty much done. He's toast. And either he's going to get sort of backup DH uh, work uh, somewhere else, or, uh, or they're just going to phase him out a little bit. I mean... Yes, his batting average and his on-base percentage look okay. He's just I don't think he's, you know, got the power to be a regular DH or first baseman anymore. They're already starting to platoon him against lefties. So, you know, Morneau offers some opportunity there um, for playing time. And as you said, Willingham's knee doesn't look good. They're doing an MRI. There's opportunity there. Uh, Arcia, the one thing about him is his strikeout rate is pretty high. So I think he's going to be a kind of rip-it-and-rip-it power guy with uh, uh, not the greatest batting average. Um, and he's not going to help you too much in speed. So uh, I think he's the kind of guy you pick up if you need need power and power alone. Yeah, and I also uh, included in that article that I think target field has really hurt Arcia. I mean, it's terrible for left-handed power, and he's really been hampered there. I mean, his isolated slugging is way worse than uh, his mark away from target field. And so obviously if he remains in Minnesota, which there's no reason to believe that he won't, then uh, that's going to be an issue, and it's going to hurt his power ceiling. But it is good to see because if he gets – I don't know why he would get traded, but if he gets traded or if you want to play him away, 
he's got some serious pop, and his minor league power seems to be translating pretty nicely. Uh, another interesting name is Gene Segura. Now, I have no idea where this power came from, but given his batted ball distance, he ranks 19th right now with a distance of 300 feet. That basically validates for me his home number fly ball rate, which currently sits at nearly 18%. Now, any clue where this power actually came from? No, and I'm really surprised that uh, your research found that uh, his, uh, his batted ball distance was similar in different months. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, his first month was actually his worst, and he was at about 290, then he jumped up to 325, and then in June it was 300. So it's not like, I mean, a lot of times what we do is we see these hot starts, and maybe you'll see the distance start out at 310, but then it'll steady, steadily decline with the home number fly ball, and you're like, all right, it was just a hot one month, and now his last two months are the, the normal player. That's not the case for Segura. He's been consistently powerful the entire season. Yeah, and it's weirder even that he's hitting about 60% of the, his balls on the ground. So, I mean, if you took that home run per fly ball rate out of there, you would uh, think he was a slap hitter. Uh, and you, you would be really surprised to see 11 home runs next to, uh, next to his name. I, I just, I, you know, I'm looking through his minor league career. I mean, let's see, how old is he? He's, he's young enough. He's 23. He's young enough that um, maybe he's just, you know, becoming a strong young man, and maybe he's actually going to be a 15 to 20 home run hitter. His minor league rates suggest more 10 to 15 home runs. Yeah. So uh, I think he's a really interesting guy to watch. Um, I, I think it's impossible to trade for him right now. It, He's kind of a guy that you're just going to hold on to. Yeah, and he's not a big guy either. I mean, he's 5'10", 165 on the Fangraphs page. So it's not like he's like tall and lanky and like growing into his body, which uh, scouts like to uh, describe young players as doing. So it'll be really interesting to project him for next year. Because here's a guy whose distance validates the home run spike, but you just never saw this type of distance and power ever manifesting. So you just wonder if that could be sustained in itself. So I don't know what to make of him power-wise, but what he's done so far looks legit is basically all I can say. Can he continue hitting the ball this far? I don't know, but it's been legit so far what he's done. Uh, next name is Desmond Jennings, who personally I think is pretty close to a major breakout. He's got a couple of flaws, but it's not but he's close. And all those flaws, he's so close that like a smidge adjustment here and there to make several small improvements and and then I think he could be a star. So I Yeah, I mean for for, for Jennings, you actually he can make a better case given his minor league numbers. Uh, for for more power or, or you know for developing power you know if you look at Jennings against Segura you would say Jennings is the more powerful guy um, so he also has a batted ball he's a less extreme batted ball distribution where he's hitting like you know 45 percent on the ground where you think that's a guy who could maybe hit some homers so I mean uh, I always liked him for like a 15 uh, 30, 15, 40 kind of guy. Uh, but, you know, I always have to remember, the guy that I like and like is Crawford. And we always said, oh, Crawford, you know, could be developing power. And I think we've had the conversation about, not us, but in general about 
uh, Carl Crawford, you know, how many home runs can he hit in his best year or whatever? And he never really got going either. So, I mean, I, I'd be careful to, to, to wish cast him anywhere past uh, 18, 19, 20 homers. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I love about Jennings, he's shown better walk rates in the minors. He's shown better strikeout rates in the minors. And that just suggests to me that that's his ultimate upside. If he can get that walk rate up, make better contact. I mean, this is, and I, I don't know what happened to his speed, but let's say it's just been a, a slow, maybe he's been battling leg injuries that we're unaware of. So let's say his upside is still 35 to 40 bases, and let's say maybe 20 home runs. Then you throw in uh, an increased walk rate and a better contact rate, and suddenly you also have a good batting average, maybe 280 and 290, and a good on-base percentage means he's going to score a ton of runs. I mean, that to me seems like an upside of a, a, a first or second rounder. So, I mean, a, a lot has to go right, but I still think that's his ultimate upside. Yeah, and uh, his swing strike rate in 2011 was on, was 8%, which is uh, below league average. So, um, you know, if he can get back to that sort of contact rate, even with the contact rates he's showing right now, he could strike out less. So uh, none of the projection systems project him to do so. And, uh, you know, that's a that's a iffy thing is to try and uh, try and project a swinging strike rate or strikeout rates beyond uh, what he's shown. And what he's shown in the major league so far is basically a 20% strikeout rate, league average, basically. But uh, I agree with you. The, in the minor leagues, he never really he never really showed the, this this level of strikeout. He never struck out 20% in the minor league. So uh, there's definitely a lot of upside there. And I would say that maybe he's just uh, adjusting back to pitchers, you know, paying more attention to him. And maybe it's a learning the running game sort of thing. Or, or like you said, uh, leg injuries we don't know about, sort of surface, uh, you know, stuff that he didn't need to report. Uh, perhaps the most interesting name when you're browsing the distance leaderboards is Dominic Brown. This is a guy who's near the top of the home run per fly ball list at 25%, yet he ranks 151st in distance with an average distance of just 281 feet. And for context, the league average distance is right around 275 to 280 feet. So he's barely above the league average in distance, yet he has a 25% home run per fly ball rate. That's crazy. I mean, clearly Citizens Bank has helped him. It, it really inflates lefty power. All of his home runs have been pulled. That helps him as well. But is that really enough to explain the 25% home run per fly ball rate? Or is he in for some major regression over the second half? Uh... God, you know, I'm pushing myself to be more definitive and, and say things very definitively. So, I, but really, I want to say that you're you're right and you're wrong. I mean, when you, I think that there's regression coming. I think he's a true talent, 25 homer guy. So yes, I do think that Dominic Brown will hit fewer home runs in the second half. He'll hit them more on pace with like a 25 home run season. And uh, uh, I think uh, you know. It'll still end up over 30, but, you know, for next year, I wouldn't project him for much more than 25 homers. So there's that. But, you know, he's not, for the foreseeable future, being traded out of Citizens Bank. So even though it sets up right for him, um, you know, right now, it, it looks like regression is coming. I would say he's still going to be in Philadelphia going forward. And he's still going to get, get that nice uh, short porch. And he's still going to be a left-hander in Citizens Bank. So, Sorry, so I, I think it'll be fine. 
Yeah, and, and thank God for that, for Brown owners. You know, foolishly, when I was doing the research on Brown, I don't know why I didn't actually bother to look at the splits. I just looked at the Citizens Bank splits and didn't look at Brown's actual splits. These are crazy. Get this. At home, his home run per fly ball rate is 44.4% versus a 15.8% away home run per fly ball rate. That's nuts. That's a tri- that's triple a three to one ratio home to away and over and forty four percent at home. That's yeah. Citizens Bank is good for lefty handed home run power, but forty four percent. Yeah, that's too much. You're right. That's a that's an interesting number. And uh, also, he's had trouble against left handers in the past, and he fifty percent of his fly balls off of left handers are going out at home. So um, yeah, that's that, that's where the regression will happen. I think. Um, but, uh, you know, even at a 16% fly ball rate, uh, he's the kind of guy who hits enough fly balls um, that, you know, 25 homers seems like a decent year for him. Uh, and I also think his walk rate can go up if you've got an on-base percentage league. And I'm really happy that he stole eight bases um, <laughs> and, and only got caught once. So, you know, for next year, uh, I would give him a – I would be con- try to be conservative in 270, 25 homers, 10 stolen bases. And that's got a lot of value. Yeah, and the thing that we forget is Dominic Brown was a top prospect, and everybody expected him to be a 25 home run guy with 10 steals. So it's not like this performance is really out of nowhere. It's just that to the degree that it's been done so far is the surprise. I mean, again, the fact that he's rebounded and his power is back after disappearing for the last couple of years isn't really a surprise, but we just didn't expect a 271 ISO. We probably expected more like a a 200 or maybe a 210 or something. So, yeah, especially with the rest of his career on there. I mean, he, he's had a 271 ISO so far, and uh, in about half the at-bats, he's finally drug his uh, career ISO over 200. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's definitely – but you know what? Like you said, uh, Bill James rejected him into a 30-30 season his rookie year, which was three <laughs> years ago. <laughs> wow, 30 steals. I mean, th- he's a – Pretty big guy, 6'5", 205. So to think that he can steal 30 bases, I, I don't yeah, think that's happening anymore. I never believe that. They must have been going back all the way to 2008 when he stole 22. But even then, why would he steal 30 in his rookie year? Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was a real surprising projection for me. Bill James projections, always the optimistic set. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I want to name... Uh, a trio of players here. You, you touched on Justin Morneau already, but I want to also add in Lance Berkman and Paul Canerco to the mix of three older, Justin Morneau, not as old, but three veterans who clearly are on the downside of the career. Berkman ranks 226 in distance, Morneau 238, Canerco 255, and there's only 279 batters on the list. So to me, this suggests these three players, they're dumb. Anybody holding out hope, thinking they're buying low, that the power's going to rebound, it's never going to happen. Sadly enough, I'm a huge Canerico fan. I own his jersey, but unfortunately, I think these guys are done. Yeah, uh, I love also, I'm just called up Berkman's page. Here's the most recent update on Berkman. Lance Berkman, uh, parentheses, knee general soreness. (laughs) General soreness. Parentheses, is hoping to return to the Rangers lineup Wednesday. So he's suffering from knee problems and just general old man soreness. <laughs> yeah, oldness. Just being old. I, I Everything hurts. They should just replace that to Berkman, old. Being Berkman. <laughs> hoping to return to the lineup Wednesday. 
Berkman is being Berkman, and he's going to be out until he's taken the uh, the Fountain of Youth, which is. I thought I thought the Fountain of Youth would be in Texas, and you know it's it's fair to say that like you know uh, home run for fly ball. I looked this up. Does go up in the second half. Uh, it gets hot in Texas. Gets hotter than anywhere else. Heat heat uh, is conducive to power. I think he could maybe uh, push it to uh, 20 homers on the year. You know, it doesn't take great power to hit 20 homers, especially in Texas. So, and he's got six in the first half. I I, I could see a mini run, but yeah, I think for the most part, especially in mixed leagues, I'm not really uh, happy to own any of these guys. Yeah, and Berkman does have his uses still in OBP leagues. He's still taking walks like a champ. Uh, But also you have to remember that Yes, he's DHing, so it's going to cap the uh, potential for injury. But it's still Lance Berkman. He still has the opportunity to get injured running out a ground ball, and so he's always a candidate for a 15-day DL stint. That sneezing. Yeah, the, the fact that he's Lance Berkman and he's old, that 15-day DL stint can end up being a, a month. And so, I mean, he, he's a guy. You know, I I actually drafted him in my 12-team mixed league on my bench. And he's been in and out of my lineup. I finally gave up. I'm like, all right, that power's not coming back. He's not even going to play. He was dropped to fifth in the lineup. So, yeah, I've given up all hope. So, Yeah, he's treating me real well in AL labor. I was all happy to get him and everything. But, all right. oh, boy. Let's move along to Arizona where Adam Eaton, the outfielder, not the pitcher, may actually finally be returning soon. And... That's a mess now in in the outfield in Arizona. We got Cody Ross, Jason Kubel, Gerardo Parra, AJ Pollock, even Martin Prado has played eight games in the outfield with uh, Eric Chavez playing third, and Eric Chavez is back now, so that potential is is back with Prado moving to the outfield. So what the heck happens now in the outfield? Well, I do think there is a, a window there. I mean. Uh, Pollock's uh, value right now is lies mostly in uh, some power that I, I'm not going to call it fluky, but you know, he's some power that is on the upper edges of his projections, I would say, um, and uh, and defense. So you could use Pollock as the backup center fielder, um, and that would be consistent with the way they've talked about his future with the club. And you know, has, there hasn't been a lot of excitement about Pollock, so it's not like. Um, Putting him into a into a defensive role would shunt a lot of growth or or keep like a, an intriguing prospect on the bench. So there is a possibility Pollock could become a backup center fielder. And also uh, Cody Ross and Jason Kubel are re- reverting into the worst versions of themselves, where their platoon splits are terrible. Uh, Cody Ross can't hit a right-hander right now, and Jason Kubel can't hit a left-hander. And so, yet, and yet, when the Diamondbacks face a righty, Cody Ross bats fifth and Jason Kubel bats sixth. So. Show us how much Major League managers know. Well, the weird thing is that Cody Ross has had this problem most much of his career. He's been a lefty masher, uh, but you know teams still play him every day. I would I would think that they would find a way to you know Kubel is the DH, backup first baseman, lefty uh, uh, you know out of the lineup against lefties. Cody Ross is always in against lefties. Sits some, DHs some. There's there's a, there's room in there to fit Pollock. Um, you know, to put Pollock not down on a rung and get Eaton in there. The problem is, Eaton has options. Uh, you know, his elbow didn't feel 100% the whole way through um, his rehab. He did have a setback or two. 
So they can find reasons to keep him in the minors, too. That said, stolen bases are down around the league. Eaton's a big stolen base guy. Uh, everything looks good in terms of defense on base percentage. He looks like a, a good player. They've talked about wanting him in there. Uh, so I have definitely stashed him in a couple leagues, where, especially on base percentage leagues, where I needed, I needed uh, steals. Yeah. I Well, first of all, A.J. Pollock is uh, a lefty masher. 356 Woba against lefties. Only a 273 against righties. So if A.J. Pollock ever gets any playing time, it should be only against lefties. But Adam Eaton, I loved Eaton preseason. So I was very disappointed when he went down with that elbow injury. And uh, who knows how he's going to play after coming off of that injury. But suffice to say, given the log jam and we don't know what, how he's going to perform, I feel like I'm already naming him as my first big sleeper for 2014. <laughs> next year. <laughs> That's right. I like looking forward already to 2014 drafts because I love Adam Eaton, and there's no reason not to continue liking him, especially in on-base percentage leagues, like a, like a Tower Wars type of a league. Yeah, he didn't have a great rehab stint this year, uh, so I, I don't know what that means. Um, you know, it, it's just 36 plate appearances. might not mean anything. Babbitt was tiny, uh, but you, you know, he has been hurt, and he's been DHing some on his... Um, on his rehab stint, which is not good. So I don't know. I do. I still do still like him. Uh, and you know, compared to you know who else, who else is out there on your wire that might like do a ton for your stolen bases? I mean, there's Billy Hamilton. You never know what's going to happen with him. And uh, and Adam Eaton. Yeah. So I mean, if Adam Eaton is still sitting around in free agency and he does return and he doesn't get stuck in the minors, then I think he's certainly a guy to keep an eye on and and immediately put into your lineup, but of course watch the playing time situation because we don't know with their like 15 outfielders, we don't know how the playing time is going to shake out. Speaking of coming off of the DL, Brett Laurie apparently is not going to be with the Blue Jays once he gets activated. And you know what? Roto World didn't even report on this. I found out about this on Yammer, uh, you know, our internal blog. And somebody posted an article from MLB.com talking about this. And then, of course, David Weirs, being the awesome Roto write-upper he is, he uh, published that in his Roto write-up this morning. So I don't understand. So the, the Blue Jays are saying they're okay with Meiser Asturis, whose UZR 150 is awful at third base, and he can't hit. They're okay with him at third base, and they want Brett Laurie to, to turn things around in the minors? Is that really the best idea for the team? I, I don't really understand. No, actually, what's worse is that they're carrying 13 pitchers. I, I have no idea why they're doing that, uh, when, especially when they need infielders. You know, there's room on a team for Isturis and Bonifacio and Laurie, so I don't know what they're doing. Uh, they kind of confuse me. Also, you know, I know that it's now it's the time that we're all going to hate Brett Laurie and, you know, talk about all his flaws and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I still see a lot of good things. Maybe I'm not thinking like 30-30, maybe I'm not, you know, thinking the upper reaches, but if you look at his line, you know, most years he doesn't strike out this much. So you're talking about a guy who's going to strike out less than the league average normally. Uh, you're also talking about a guy who's going to have more than league average power normally. And you're also talking about a guy who, who can steal bases. So for me, the floor for that is is pretty high. Even if they put him back in and he had a regular Babbitt the rest of the way, I'm talking like a 260-270 hitter at the very least. Um, and then, uh, you know, 15 to 20 homers and, and more than double-digit steals. That's still a mixed-league third baseman for me. Well, you know, I have just added a second member to the 2014 sleeper team. Yeah. That's Brett Lurie. 
next year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that he's coming off of a sprained ankle and uh, or an ankle injury. I don't think it's the same. It was to the same degree as Jose Reyes' ankle injury. But any leg, foot, ankle injury uh, for a guy who you're expecting a decent amount of stolen bases from, you just can't be sure how often they're going to run. So I don't know how many steals he's going to have if he ever gets back up to Toronto. And no, take, no steals in the first few games in uh, on rehab. Yeah, and he only had two steals before the injury in 153 plate appearances, 37 games. He only attempted three steals all season. So it's not like he was stealing a lot, and now he's going to come back, and you don't know how often he's going to steal. He wasn't. Yeah, even we talked about Don Brown, and you know, he never stole 30 in the minors. Brett Lowry th- stole 30 in 2010. That was only three years ago, and it's not like you know three years ago when you're turning 30. This guy's 23, so. I'm I'm not hopping off the train. Like you said, I really like him for next year. I will try to acquire him in some in some uh, in some keeper leagues, and uh, and uh, hopefully we'll reap the benefits. I don't, you know this year going forward. Sometimes you get a lost year. Sometimes you're hurt all year. You know, you never know. But I still like him. And I think Dom Brown is a perfect comparable here, and it teaches us a lesson: not to give up on young former top prospects after a couple of disappointing years. The post-hype prospect, I think, is perhaps the most profitable fantasy acquisition because you're basically buying these guys for cheap as if they're going to continue to bust, and and you have all that upside potential that you're not paying for. So Don Brown was probably a reserve or a really cheap pickup in every single league this year with all that potential upside that he showed during spring training – and you didn't have to pay anything for it. So worst-case scenario, he sucks it up. Well, Don Brown actually was a difficult one because his first month, he wasn't any good. So I think he got dropped in a lot of leagues, and that kind of sucked for those owners. But basically, you know, he and sucks. So what? You lose nothing. Still a good point, though, because Don Brown didn't, it struggled for longer than Laurie, and, and yet we're still reaping the rewards. So, exactly. Uh, you know, I think there's – once you've shown – I mean, there's a, that age-old idea once you've shown talent – um, you, you like at least for a sustainable amount of time, then you then you still own that talent, and um, you know there's still his uh, it's still his first year with the the Blue Jays, uh, where he showed great power and speed. Um, even his even his sophomore season, 270, 11 and 13, that's not bad. Uh, it's 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 borderline for mixed leagues, but uh, he's still got upside beyond. Yeah, and the same thing you have to remember for both Mike Mustakis and Eric Hosmer both of which are once again disappointing. Um, if they continue on the rest of the season the same way, they're guys that are going to get even cheaper next year. And at that point, it's all upside from there. So don't forget the young prospects who have disappointed, who who have shown a lot in the minor leagues and were supposed to be good, because you never know when everything is going to fall into place and they break out. Yeah. Uh, speaking of disappointing players, but not to the same degree, because he clearly didn't have the same upside – Johnny Giovatella getting his, like, eighth chance now in Kansas City. Well, what is it with Kansas City and all their disappointments? I don't understand it. But Giovatella, they, they finally got sick of Chris Getz, and Elliot Johnson obviously wasn't good enough to, to play second base every day. So now Giovatella is getting another chance to be the Royals' everyday second baseman. And, and he's a guy who I think is the perfect deep league guy who has a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, that if you need a middle infielder, I mean, this is the guy to get. Am I wrong here? No, and I'm really upset because I had Chris Getz in AL Labor, and I knew what was coming. But I actually tried to uh, 
tried to handcuff with Giovatella, but uh, I ended up a dollar short, and that just really hurts right now because now I don't. I have David Adams in middle infield, and I'm just really upset. <laughs> I don't think that Giovatella is someone that people need to run to, rush out to for mixed leagues, though, because his power and and, um, and speed are kind of uh, muted, I would say. So I think he could do a little something of everything. Um, you know, probably has a little bit more power and speed than Iglesias. He's not just you know, a runs and batting average guy, but he's also not gonna, I, I don't think I would give him 20 home runs or 20 stolen bases in a, in a full year. No, absolutely not. I mean, in a full year, I wouldn't expect much more than like a 10-10, which in a mixed league isn't bad, but it's probably close to replacement level. But I mean, in a deep mixed league or an AL only, a 10-10 middle infielder, that, that's pretty good. That has decent value. And he's still owned in the well below 10% of CBS leagues. I know that because I was going to be writing a column about Givitella and tomorrow's waiver wire, and and that's probably too low. So he's probably going to hit at the bottom of the order, though if he gets hot, uh, I mean, it, it, Ned Yost seems to love uh, reshuffling his order. It's possible he does hit second. I mean, Alcides Escobar isn't exactly the, the, the best number two guy because he never walks. His on-base percentage stinks. So <laughs> there is upside there to move up to number two if he gets hot. So a 10-10 over a full season, a decent batting average. He's not a bad little guy who can help modestly across all categories, I feel. All right. Well, that is a wrap. And I just want to let everybody know that we will not be recording on July 4th. So happy July 4th to everybody. And we'll be back on Sunday. For more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust, so for Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.